HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Kane Vineyard and Winery, a Napa Valley winery committed to respecting the soil and dedicated to the creation of three Cabernet blends. For more information, visit Kane5.com. I'm Greg Blaze, host of Cutting the Curd. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Good morning and welcome to Inside School Food on the Heritage Radio Network. I am Laura Stanley. Today, Inside School Food is going to take a look, uh, its first look, at USDA-funded summer meals programming. It's a big topic that has been growing bigger as more families find themselves in need when school is out. Summer feeding is expanding all over the nation due in part to the growing involvement by school districts as mandated by Healthy Hunger Free Kids Act 2010. But it hasn't expanded nearly enough. The vast majority of children in need are still going without this critical safety net. Uh, We're going to talk about why this is so today and much more. Uh, We timed today's show to align with the flurry of how-to webinars and other great informational opportunities that are available to prospective summer meal sponsors right now. Now is when planning is underway. So if you are planning a summer program or considering launching one, this is the time to take advantage of those. And there will be resource links to some of that material on today's show page on InsideSchoolFood.com. Um, our first guest, uh, Jillian Meyer of Share Our Strength, is here to give us a kind of national state of summer feeding report. After station break, Winnie Brewer of Marion, Ohio City Schools will join us to talk about an unusually holistic approach to summer feeding that involves uh, not just students, but the entire community in a time of high need. Uh, Jillian is Senior Program Manager for Share Our Strength's influential uh, No Kid Hungry campaign, which provides grants and offers a spectrum of services to community organizations that fight hunger nationwide. Um, If you're not already familiar with No Kid Hungry Center for Best Practices, I strongly encourage you to take a look at their treasure trove of resources available online. Um, Toolkits, case studies, hunger stats, issue briefs, reports, and so much more. 
Um, and there'll be a link uh, for all of that on today's show page, too. Uh, summer feeding is just one of the many areas where No Kid Hungry is active. Uh, Jillian has been with the center for three years. She previously worked as a nutrition associate at Maryland Hunger Solutions and before that as a program assistant at the Annie E. Casey Foundation's Center for Family Economic Success. She has a BA in government and politics and a master's in public policy, both from the University of Maryland College Park. Jillian, welcome to Inside School Food. Thank you so much for having me today. So um, in exploring this topic, um, I was surprised to learn about the diversity of organizations sponsoring USDA-funded summer feeding and the complexity that this diversity introduces into this system. You, you have described this to me as a kind of a patchwork. Can you, you know, tell us a little more what you meant by that? Yeah, absolutely. So the Summer Food Service Program, or as we call it, the Summer Meals Program, was started in 1968 to replicate the National School Lunch Program. So through that program, kids can get free, reduced price or paid breakfast and lunch when school is in session. But there's a growing awareness that there was a need for that same service in the summer times. But, you know, the problem in the summer months is that same infrastructure, that same school bureaucracy isn't in place. So there are places where summer school is offered and, and kids can get meals through that. There are places where schools can open up their front doors and allow kids to come in and, and outside programming to come in and get meals that way. And then there are you know, a lot of community organizations that have really stepped up to the plate to make sure meals were available in the summer months as well. So we're seeing a, a huge diversity of schools, of boys and girls clubs, YMCAs, churches, um, you know, anyone that really cares about kids has stepped up in a, in a major way to provide this food in the summertime. Right, right. Um, so, so let's look specifically at involvement by school districts, which I understand is growing. Um, there's, it's, there, you know, what is now required of school districts that wasn't required for Healthy Hunger Free Kids? So with the passage of Healthy Hunger Free Kids Act, there were a lot of changes to what schools can do. Schools were officially required to help with summer food outreach. Mm -hmm. So if there, was, if there were sites in the community, the school had to send information home, has to send information home to parents to make them aware of it. Um, and that was the, the major change to the school side. We also saw another side um, where nonprofits were allowed to serve more sites as sponsoring organizations. So before they were sort of limited in, what, in how many sites they could serve, and now nonprofit organizations can take on more as well. Um, we've seen a lot of state-based legislation that has really impacted schools, and I think that has been the, the major change over the past few years, actually. Mm -hmm. um, so tell me a little bit more about that. I mean, it, it, we, you've told me in the past that, you, you know, in general we want to see school districts more deeply involved in summer feeding um, as opposed to other kinds of sponsors. You know, what, what do they offer um, and how are they perceived in the community that makes them different? Yeah, we absolutely think schools are the number one best place to, to operate this program. You know, they're already operating school breakfast, school lunch, so they have the equipment, they have the food prep skills, they have the staff, they have the physical location, oftentimes they have programming, and we know that they're really a trusted resource. Share Our Strength conducted a 2013 national survey of low-income families in conjunction with APCO Insights where we learned that parents viewed schools as the most trusted place to receive information, and they trust that their kids will be with, with trusted adults. It's a safe place. It's a safe 
you know, safe, supervised location for kids when they're unattended by parents. Mm -hmm. And so we think that that really makes them a natural partner in providing these healthy meals to kids. So and it sounds from what you're saying that we are seeing more SFA involvement right now than we did, like, you know, in other words, in the past couple of years or so. Mm-hmm. Um, do, do, do we have a sense of how many more are jumping in? Do, is, there, is there any data available at this point? We don't have hard national data because the USDA doesn't actually um, collect that information. So we know at the state level, um, we have examples from our No Kid Hungry campaigns across the country. Uh, for example, in Maryland, almost every single school district does sponsor meals. And so in most communities, um, they are the only sponsor. And in some sort of more robust summer meal communities, they might be one of two, one of three sponsors. Um, but of the, of the 24 Maryland counties, including Baltimore City, I think uh, it's about 23 of them sponsor meals currently. Right, right. Yeah, so, with, so this represents progress. But <clears throat> at the same time, we're, we're still seeing that the, not just the majority, but the vast majority of eligible children, uh, eligible children are still underserved or not being served at all. Like, why is this happening? You know, I can speak generally, and then I can speak, if that's helpful, a little bit more to the school side. Mm -hmm. Um, In general, so we know as of 2013, we're still waiting on on final 2014 data, a little over 3 million eligible kids received a summer meal compared to the 21 million kids eating a free or reduced-price school lunch. Mm -hmm. So we're really only reaching about 15% of eligible kids, or one out of every seven. Um, We know that counties all over this country, they don't have access to meal sites. Some of them, you know, you have to be uh, in a community with 50% or more free or reduced-price children to qualify for an open meal site. And some communities don't hit that threshold. They're at 45 or they're at 40. And so those 40% of kids that are eligible actually don't have access to open meal sites. Um, We know that, you know, there's just not that infrastructure in place where there are community organizations or schools that are keeping their doors open or can afford to keep their doors open. we know in places that lack transportation, kids either can't get to sites or they're, they're walking miles to get there. Um, we heard a story from our friends at the Ohio Association of Food Banks that, you know, a, a, one of their summer meal sites last year, a little boy, I think he was 12, rode his bike along the highway. Mm-hmm. It was about five, five miles to get to the site. And when he got there, he said, can I take a, a lunch home to my brother? He, he's not old enough to ride his bike here. Mm-hmm. Um, And so, you know, my earlier point about sort of that infrastructure not being in place, you know, the school buses aren't running and picking these kids up and bringing them to site. Um, Right. And the story you just said about the the little boy asking for the second meal, was he he allowed to take a meal off the feeding site to bring home for his, you know, for someone else? No, he wasn't. So... um, for the summer meals program, there's this requirement, and we in the, in the hunger, anti-hunger community call it the congregate feeding requirement. Mm-hmm. Um, in the regulations, it says that sites must maintain kids in place and let them eat their meal together in a supervised location. Um, so you actually are not allowed to take your meal and leave. You have to eat it in a supervised environment. Um, and so, you know, the, the USDA has done a really great job of trying to find flexibility around that. Mm-hmm. They've um, issued policies saying kids can take the fruit with them, they can take the whole grain with them, but they can't take a meal to go. 
Right. That's that's a huge problem. You, you had shared with me um, a map of um, summer feeding sites in the state of Ohio where only 10 percent of eligible children are being served. And and it's it's really very uh, shocking to see, you know, big patches of I believe the co- color is orange where these children live and then they, the black patches where meals are available and they're so tiny in comparison to the big you know, areas uh, of need. I, I understand USDA did do a demonstration project um, a couple of years ago to look at the possibility of allowing kids to bring food home with them. How did that work out? Yeah, so um, in 2010, under the Appropriations Act, Congress authorized the USDA to test non-congregate models of feeding kids. They, they sort of told them you could try, you could try innovative models to, to fight hunger. Um, and so the USDA tried a couple of things. Um, they tried meal delivery. They tried backpack programs. They tried summer electronic benefits transfer cards for kids. They tried all sorts of things that sort of tried to see what would happen if we let children take a couple of meals home at the same time or what would happen if, um, you know, a backpack got delivered to a child. Um, because, you know, there is some pushback around food safety handling mm-hmm. along the lines of, you know, we're giving these kids milk. What if it doesn't get refrigerated? Or we're giving these kids, um, you know, food. What if it gets eaten by someone else? Right. So there were some concerns about program integrity. Um, and what we found is these, these programs worked beautifully. Um, they lowered very low food insecurity in children. They lowered household food insecurity. There were no complaints about food safety handling. There were no complaints about the kids not getting the food. Um, and so we feel that there's a really a rich body of evidence out there that supports the idea that when done well, when operated by sponsors with integrity, you know, really trusted sponsors and sites in conjunction with the state agency, non-congregate feeding is a great model to try to get kids the food they need. Right, right. So so, so that that's exciting. And when you talk about a trusted site, obviously, school districts are, are, are up there. Um, and, and, and despite the obstacles that you're, you're talking about, um, we are seeing plenty of signs of success, and we are shortly going to hear about one of them in, in detail. Um, so, you know, again, in what instances can um, operating a summer meals program be a win for um, a school district, you know, financially and otherwise? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think when done well, we hear this we hear this frequently. When done well, especially by schools because they are so good at this, this is their business model. Um, this program works really well. Uh, we know that when there's summer school and there are Title I funded programs, there's really rich educational enrichment programming to draw the kids in. Um, and we know that when, when schools are providing a breakfast and a lunch for these kids, which they are allowed to do, it helps draw down more reimbursement rates which makes the program more sustainable for the schools themselves. Mm -hmm. We're increasingly seeing school districts vending for the community. So for sites and sponsors in the community that can't do their own food prep, we're seeing schools step up to the plate and say, if you can come get the food from me, I will prepare it for you. Um, We're seeing schools allowing outside programming to come in to, to their school grounds, which you know, for some schools, it's a security concern to allow other people in. And, and now they're more frequently starting to open their doors and say, you know, you're a YMCA, you're a Boys and Girls Club, bring your kids in, host, I'll host you. Um, I can prep the food. You can come in and, and use my building and, and get out of the elements. Right, right. Um, and, and, that's, and that opens up more opportunities for fresh food, which is, you know, 
really that and that attracts more kids. They they like having a fresh hot meal. Yeah, we are hearing. We know that um, Marla Kaplan, a, a food service director in Montgomery County, is having great success with hot meals. As is. Uh, Jody Reese in Anne Arundel County, they said that serving hot meals drives participation up, and that's why they're going to keep doing it. Yeah, great, great. So, Julian, I, I just want to briefly talk a little bit about policy and politics. Um, what is No Kid Hungry advocating for Child Nutrition Reauthorization 2015? We are really excited about the upcoming opportunity that we see in Child Nutrition Reauthorization. The current legislation sunsets on September 30th. And so we are gearing up to make summer meals our priority. Um, We know that even in places where the program is operating sort of in the best conditions, like an urban environment where there are a lot of sites and there are a lot of kids, participation is still only about 50% of all eligible kids. So Mm -hmm. we're still missing out on about 50% of the kids we could be reaching. So we want to change the program a little bit. I want to emphasize first we're fully committed to our continued support for the congregate feeding model Mm -hmm. because where it works well, like with schools, it's a vital piece of the solution for low-income families. They get a healthy meal, programming, they socialize. We will continue to support that. However, we know this model isn't working well in many of the communities because, like in Ohio, they're only reaching 10% of kids, or in Oklahoma, they're reaching 4% of kids, or in Kansas, 5% of kids. Mm, wow. Um, you know, we're missing almost everybody, frankly. So what we're asking for is a little bit of flexibility on this congregate feeding requirement. We want to think about certain circumstances that require a more localized solution. So in really rural communities, which I'm sure you'll hear about more from Winnie um, after the break, in really rural communities where the nearest school is 20, 30 miles away, and, you know, kids don't have public transportation, or in communities where children's safety is at risk. The USDA approved two waivers um, for communities to do non-congregate feeding last year due to extreme gang violence Mm -hmm. um, and really high homicide rates. And so we know that this is a serious problem, this crime problem. Um, And then there are problems like extreme weather conditions. You know, you have wildfires in Colorado. You have extreme heat in Texas and Nevada. Um, And, you know, we want to see the program be a little bit more flexible to meet the needs of these communities. Um, If if you're in one of those communities in Ohio that doesn't actually qualify for an open site because you're not at that 50% threshold, we want to see some some more innovative solutions to feed those kids. Right, right. Now, Senator Gillibrand has introduced the Summer Meals Act, and I know that No Kid Hungry is in support. But you've told me there are some areas where um, No Kid Hungry feels the bill doesn't go far enough. Where are the areas of difference? Yes, that's a great question. So we did sign on support, and we really believe that this is a a great piece of legislation that would definitely expand access. But, you know, we we don't think that it changes the fundamental problems with the summer meals program. So the Gillibrand bill would uh, lower the threshold for open site eligibility from 50% to 40%. It provides transportation grants. It would allow sites and sponsors to serve three meals a day. They, they can currently only serve two meals a day. And it would, it would streamline the administrative work between the summer meals program and the after-school meals program. Those are all wonderful things that we fully support. But it doesn't get around the congregate feeding requirement, which we think is the fundamental flaw with the program. There are some kids that are never going to make it to a site, and we need to get those kids fed. Um, so those are distinctions very well worth noting. Um, so thank you so much for that, Jillian, and thank you so much for joining us today. 
Um, this is Inside School Food. We have been speaking about USDA-funded summer meals programs with Jillian Meyer, who is Senior Program Manager at the Center for Best Practices at Share Our Strengths No Kids Hungry campaign. After station break, uh, we'll learn about what the Marion, Ohio School District has done to expand its summer feeding program by leaps and bounds and integrate it into the life and culture of a post-industrial community. It's a great story, so please stay with us. The break song here is called Write It Down by The Landing. This is Inside School Food. We'll be right back. This is Chris Howell from Cane Vineyard and Winery, calling in from Spring Mountain above the Napa Valley. Thank you for listening to this show. In our industrial world of highly processed food and wine, we support the values of Heritage Radio Network. All of us at Cane encourage you to seek out individuality and beauty in everything you eat and drink. To learn more about us, go to Cane5.com. Welcome back to Inside School of Food on the Heritage Radio, our first episode ever about summer meals. I couldn't be more pleased to have Winnie Brewer of Marion, Ohio City Schools on as our first school food service director on this topic. Winnie has a vision for school food at the center of the larger community. She's not just interested in feeding kids, but in restoring and enriching local food culture through programs that draw entire families into a sphere of positive influence. Uh, She uses community gardens on school grounds, cooking and canning workshops, free farmers markets, and more. Um, In recognition of all this great work, the Children's Hunger Alliance named Marion City School's Summer Food Program its uh, 2014 Summer Nutrition Program of the Year for the state of Ohio. Uh, Winnie has been with Marion City Schools for almost four years. She comes to school food service from a career in corporate food and beverage management, most recently for Starbucks. Uh, Winnie, welcome to Inside School Food. Hi, thank you for having me. So uh, first, tell us a little bit about Marion, Ohio. Uh, where are you and you know what's, what's it look like there? <laughs> so Marion is a, a community of about 58,000 people, and we're kind of sandwiched between Cleveland and Columbus, to give you an idea. Um, Marion's a great town. Um, it's, it, in the past, it's had a lot of in- industry, such as like Whirlpool Corporation and uh, some bigger um, steel plants. Um, but we've also lost a lot of industry over the years. So, over the years. so um, 
you know, it's a community that's struggling a little bit to bring back some better paying jobs and some more skilled jobs in the area. Right. See, and, and you've told me that, that this loss of, of you know, your uh, economic base is fairly recent. It's over the last decade or so. And, um, a few, you know, six or seven years ago, you never heard people talk about child hunger. This is kind of new for, for Marion. Absolutely. I, you, you never heard about it. I, you, we know it exists, but no one brought it to the forefront until just recently. And my, my, biggest, um, my biggest area of concern for the kids is during the summer. Hunger does not end when the school doors shut during the summer. If anything, it's more difficult for families to um, provide three meals a day versus probably only two meals a day if they're a low-income family and would qualify for free meals during the school day. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a huge concern, and it's something that we're trying very hard to address. Right. Now, your, your district, so your town is about 58,000, so that would make your district kind of small to midsize. How many students do you serve during the school year? Um, we're, we're the city district, so we have about 5,000 kids in our district. We're the largest district in the area. Um, we do have some county districts that are a little bit, uh, little bit further out that range from anywhere from 1,000 kids to um, 3,500 kids, to give you an idea. But we're the only um, district in the city that provides a summer feeding program. We have one rural program, which is Elgin School District, um, that also does summer feeding as well. But we're, we're the biggest in the area. Right. And you are um, enrolled in community eligibility across your whole district. Is that right? Community eligibility has been phenomenal. Mm-hmm. I can't say enough good things about community eligibility. We brought it on uh, when it was just in the pilot year for Ohio, um, and it has increased participation in um, lunch programming. We, we have some buildings that are 95% in the participation range, which is which is unheard of. Most buildings maybe would range between 60 and 70%. Mm-hmm. So um, it took away that whole stigma. Everybody eats for free, so kids, you know, don't mind getting in line. No one knows who may qualify or who may not for a free meal. Everybody gets to eat for free. Right, right. So let's look at summer. Um, how many meals are you serving and how many sites? And, you know, mm-hmm. give us an outline. We have 23 sites around the Marion area, which include all of our school buildings, plus um, the uh, libraries, churches, parks, wherever we feel that we can um, get a good gathering of kids, we've tried to put a site there. And we feed anywhere from 1,500 to 1,700 kids per day. Wow. And is the food prepared by your regular, um, you know, school year staff in your kitchens? You know, it's kind of neat. We um, we put out the posting for summer feeding, and we'll have teachers, guidance counselors, of course, a lot of my regular school staff, uh, food service staff, um, as well as just different other community members that will apply. So it's kind of neat because everybody pulls together for the summer feeding program. Yeah, I, I was kind of excited to hear that you've got teachers and guidance counselors, you know, throwing their weight in there. It, it just speaks to a kind of connection. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's so cool. The kids love to see, you know, it might be their teacher at their site. And that just, that's such a great connection for the kids. They really, really like that. All right. So, uh, so a lot of these sites are not at school. How are you delivering the food? Um, we have a central kitchen, which we prepare hot meals. There's many, many days that we have hot meals. Um, so we have a central kitchen that prepares everything. And then we have four different uh, transportation vans that takes the food out. We also have a really neat summer food bus. It's painted 
Scooby-Doo green, and um, it, it, it'll hold up to 500 meals on it and um, goes to various locations that actually also delivers books. So the kids, when, the, when, that, when that particular bus comes, they get a um, free book as well as a free meal. Oh, cool. And, and, and you told me that the bus kind of functions as a food truck, like it opens up and kids can line up as if it was a regular food truck? It does. It's yeah, really cool. Nice. It, has, um, it has an awning, and we've retrofitted the windows so the windows can open up. So it's, it's kind of like the, the old-time uh, ice cream truck coming to town. So yeah. the, ki- the kids really enjoy that. Yeah, we yeah. try to make it an event. Right. So I first heard about your work um, because I, in connection with the, the community gardens that your district um, is responsible for. Tell me about how you've involved yourself in these garden plots and how that's tied to summer feeding. So I I really feel that if we're going to make a sustainable difference and to try to end hunger in our community and across the state, that we need to involve as many partners as we can. So we have some other healthy initiatives going on between our YMCA and our health department. So we've partnered to be able to bring community um, garden boxes to our schools and we have parents um, or families adopt these garden boxes. We provide them with the plants, the seeds, the dirt, the tools, um, and then we have a monitor there during the summer feeding sites. So if they show up during summer feeding sites, we help them get their gardens watered. Um, we'll have master gardeners there to help them if they have any questions or concerns. And I really feel it's this great holistic approach to the ownership of the food, getting the kids involved in, in growing it and touching it, and, and, and then it just translates into wanting to eat healthier for the rest of their lives. I think right. it's just a win-win. Right, right. And, and, and you told me that you've got activities connected with those plots that kind of uh, rejuvenate traditional practices like canning your own food. Tell, tell us about that. Absolutely. So we're really excited this year that we have a master gardener that's very passionate about canning. And every year we try to have, um, we have community cooking classes. So we touch on a different topic every year. And this year is going to be canning. So we're going to provide a series of classes where um, the community is going to be able to come in and learn how to can the products that they've grown in the gardens, or, or any garden for that matter, but they're going to learn how to preserve that food. And we just think that's that's going to be critical to making this difference. Right, right. There's a, there's a great kind of DIY food thing going on, which I find exciting. But now, obviously, the school district is not financing all of this. Who are your program partners for for providing these resources and these classes? Well, very happy to be um, on your show with Jillian today because she is, uh, you know, Share Strength is sponsoring some programs that that we have. Um, Action for Healthy Kids helps us, Children's Hunger Alliance. Mm -hmm. Um, Farm to School grants are available to start gardening projects. Um, We have community partners. We have um, local foundations that have really jumped on board to help us with these projects. And we also have a great volunteer base. Mm -hmm. You can't forget about reaching out to volunteers. There's a lot of people out there that want to help. You just need to let them know that that you need their help. Right, right. And and another thing I I really cannot fail to mention are the uh, farmer's markets that you have organized with uh, a local food bank so that, uh, and, and I believe that's connected with summer feeding also. Tell us how that works. 
It is. We're, we're very fortunate in the state of Ohio that we have a governor that um, really understands the issue of childhood hunger in our state. Um, and through the Ohio Association of Food Banks and Mid-Ohio Food Bank, we've been able to bring um, weekly fresh produce markets into our summer feeding program. So every week, um, families that are feeding children can come to a market, and, and they'll walk out with sometimes 30, 40 pounds worth of different fresh products um, at, at this produce market. And we try to give them recipes for, for items such as if we have eggplant or squash. We try to give them recipes to go along with that. We have SNAP-Ed um, people here to help educate the kids and do, as they're waiting in line, and do little projects with the kids to get them excited about the fruits and vegetables that are going to go home. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just been an amazing – we have sometimes 400 families that show up in this two-hour period for this produce. It's, it's amazing. They'll, they'll stand in line sometimes three hours just to oh, get inside wow. and get this produce. Wow. It's, they, they feel that's such a luxury to them. Yeah. And, and then a summer meal for the kids is available um, at the same time. You bet. You bet. It's yeah. also a summer feeding site. Right, right. So I, I, as, as Jillian did, and as you are emphasizing, I, I'll emphasize again, the importance of there being exciting program, fun programming, and then meaningful programming that helps draw people and helps uh, kids, you know, convince their parents to, to bring them and involves everybody. Uh, you're doing a great job. So lastly, Winnie, I mean, just sort of thinking ahead, you know, what would you need to reach your ideal? Uh, I know this program has grown, it's tripled in the past few years in size, so you're doing great. But in terms of policy and more resources, what would you like to have to, you know, make this, make this even more? You know, I, as I was listening, I, I totally agree um, with Jillian in the direction that this needs to go. You know, we, we have days that, that the weather is, we have inclement weather. Um, you know, we have the same issues that's shared across the nation. Um, so, you know, kind of changing those rules on congregate feeding so that we can make food a little bit more accessible um, to kids that may not be able to get to our sites, that's, that's going to be critical to make that difference. Right. Um, I, I think that's the biggest thing that we need to change um, is to gain more opportunities for kids to get to, to get to these sites or to take the food to them. So with that said, that brings on, you know, a different um, host of needs as far as funding goes um, because there would be more transportation issues, that type of thing. But I, I definitely think that it's something that uh, is on the radar, um, and I, I see changes starting to happen, and um, I just really think that we're headed in the right direction. But changing those needs for congregational feeding, those requirements are going to be absolutely necessary for us to reach more kids. One in four kids are ma in Marion are food insecure. Right. One in four. Right. Uh, that's, that's scary numbers, and that's just in my town. I, I urge people to um, find out what the situation is in their town and how they can get involved. Right. Thank you for that call to action, Winnie, and thank you so much for joining us on the show today and get us 
getting us thinking ahead to summer. Uh, you have been listening to a conversation with Winnie Brewer, who is Director of Food Services for Marion, Ohio City Schools. Today's episode of Inside School Food has been devoted to summer meals at school or prepared at school for delivery to places where hungry children can get to them. If you have a summer meal story to share, please write to us at InsideSchoolFood.com. Visit today's show page for resource links. And while you're there, please sign up for our newsletter, our Twitter feed, or our Facebook page. It really helps us to know who is listening. And following the show on social media is a great way to keep up with headlines in school food, which we watch closely. Uh, today's show will also be archived on heritageradionetwork.org and for listening on your mobile device on iTunes and Stitcher. I'm Laura Stanley, and I'll be back with more for you next week. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us with questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.